want you to, this morning I want you to think about what you are known for, all right? So for you as a person, like what you're known for, maybe it's a, a skill, you know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, she's the baker, she can make some cakes, she's the baker. Maybe it's a, a different skill, it's like, oh yeah, he's the athlete, right? I mean, that dude, he can, he can really throw a ball, that's impressive. Maybe it's like, no, no, that's the numbers guy, right? That's the teacher lady and, and the preacher man. Or maybe it's not a skill, maybe it's your personality. Maybe you're known as the, the silly one. Maybe you're the serious one. Maybe you're the crusty one. Maybe you're known for being an optimist. Maybe you're known for being a pessimist. Maybe you're known for being a realist. Maybe what you're known for, you would say, man, I'm known for my family. Maybe you'd say, I'm known for my past. Maybe you'd say, I'm known for my strengths or my weaknesses, whatever it is, we're all known for something. And my guess is you want to be known for something good. My assumption is that all of us want to be known for, for something good or maybe even something great, right? So it's not just what are you known for, but it's also what do you want to be known for? These are two potentially different things. What are you known for? What do you want to be known for? And I, man, I want to be known for being a great dad and a great husband and a good pastor and a smart leader. And if I'm honest with you guys, like in a, a moment of authenticity this morning, one of the things I want to be known for, it's like, yeah, yeah, Randy, uh, this, is, this describes Randy Dane, right? I want to be known for being someone who has the right answers. You know what I mean? Like, I really do want that. I want to be the kind of person that's known for having the right answers all the time. Now, I do not want to be known as a know-it-all, but I do want to be known for knowing it all. You know, and that's, that's kind of precarious at times. There, there's a subtle difference between those two people, especially for someone in a true moment of authenticity who would tell you the truth this morning, and that's that I don't know everything. I don't. I hope that's maybe encouraging to you. I don't know. The preacher doesn't know everything. But what about you? Like, what are you known for, and what do you want to be known for? I actually want you to think about that to the point of actually penciling something out. Right? Maybe it's in your BPF app. Maybe it's in the, pro, the paper program we gave you. Maybe it's just on some notes that you brought with you. I want you to answer those two questions. What are you known for? Like, if you're struggling, like, how would your friends describe you? How do your friends know you? What are you known for? And then what do you want to be known for? Jot, jot those two things down. I want you to think through it deeply enough that you could write something down. What are you known for? What do you want to be known for? Now, here's an altogether different question. If you're a Christ follower, what does Jesus want you to be known for? Maybe that is a different question. What does Jesus want you to be known for? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm not a Christ follower, but I know that this is a safe place to come and, and, and learn about the faith, learn about Christ, learn about Christianity, and watch Christians follow Jesus. Let me ask you, if you're not a Christ follower, what do you think that Jesus wants his followers to be known for? Man, I would love to hear your answers to that question. What does Jesus want us to be known for? Now, I actually do know the answer to that question because it's abundantly clear. Jesus makes it extremely clear, and his answer is absolutely extraordinarily helpful for us. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. John 13 is in the New Testament of your Bible. If you go like kind of two-thirds of the way uh, through your Bible, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. Those are the Gospels. That word gospel means good news. These four books contain the good news of the birth, the life, the ministry, the miracles, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So we're in the fourth Gospel, John, in the 13th chapter. 
If you don't have a Bible this morning, that's okay. I'll put the words up on the screen. You can follow along as I teach. And man, we would love to send you home with a free copy of the Bible this morning out of our Welcome Center in the foyer. Go get that and that free gift that Joseph talked about. So we pick up today in John chapter 13 as we continue in this journey with Jesus through the gospel of John. And actually last week as we reignited this series, we covered the first part of John 13. And what we saw there was these rich and meaningful moments where where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Maybe you're familiar with that story. Maybe you're not. Go back and read the first part of John 13 later today. But in this foot washing, what Jesus does is he sets for us an example, a radical example of humble service. It's powerful, man. And then we pick up today in John 13 after that. And honestly, the rest of John 13, the the verses that we'll cover today, they are somber. Like they're really kind of heavy because in these verses, what Jesus is doing is he's predicting his betrayal by Judas Iscariot. One of his own disciples will betray him, ultimately turning him over to be sent to the cross. But it's not the only prediction that Jesus makes. Jesus also rightly predicts that another one of his disciples, Simon Peter, another follower of Christ, will deny even knowing Jesus not one time, but three times in the coming days. You belong to that guy? No, never met him. Don't know him. And yet in the face of all of this rejection that Jesus is predicting, like in this space that Jesus and his disciples are in, in this room where the heaviness of Jesus' imminent death is really beginning to hang in the air, Jesus is focused on one thing in this space, and it is a new command. Really? Like a new command? I mean, do we, do we not already have enough of those? I mean, in this moment, what the the scriptures tell us is that Satan has entered into Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, so that it could initiate this process for him to turn Jesus over to be killed. And in this moment, Jesus looks into Judas' eyes and he tells him, you go and do what you are going to do and go do it quickly. He says that with authority as he inaugurates these moments. And in this very moment, Jesus' mind is on a, a new, another commandment. Now, I want you to put yourself in this scene like the clock is ticking right now. This is before the ensuing chaos that's, that's coming. This is before all of the uncertainty that they're about to experience. This is before Jesus' death on the cross, knowing that the rest of his disciples are about to be in a very vulnerable space. They're going to be so confused and they're going to be so tempted to, to walk away from the faith in light of what is coming and what is happening. And in this moment, Jesus chooses to use this precious time with his followers to issue a new command. He does. Then these commanding words of Jesus must be of significant importance. And they are. Because they speak clearly to what Jesus wants us to be known for. Skip down in John 13 to verse 34. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Three times he issues this command, love one another. And we're going to spend all of our time today just on these two verses. Why? Because this new command that Jesus gives, man, it has the power to shape our lives. It has the power to shape our relationships, our marriages, our families, our priorities, the power to shape our time, our commitments, our values, and even our church. I hope that this message helps to shape this church. 
And we're going to start at the top of these two verses. Just begin with the beginning. It says, a new command I give you. And my question is, man, is this actually new? This love one another command, is this actually something new? And if you go back towards the beginning of the Old Testament... Like it goes Genesis, then Exodus, then Leviticus. So at the beginning of the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18, you see this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this is a command that's being given by the Lord with authority. No grudges, no revenge, no struggle among you and your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So my question for you is if you fast forward to John 13, you have Jesus, the Lord, calling this command in John 13 something new when we see that it existed essentially from the very beginning. Why is it called new? It is a new command here because Jesus is doing a new thing. Jesus is doing something new. What Leviticus represents in the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. That word covenant is kind of a, a churchy word. It just talks about a binding promise from God that establishes relationship. And God gave a covenant to his chosen people, ancient Israel. That's why so much of the Old Testament is this story of Israel, because this is the people that God made covenant with to establish relationship. And this is Old Covenant kinds of stuff. Leviticus 19, 17 makes this so very clear. If you just go one verse back from what I showed you, it says this, that they are to not hate a fellow Israelite. It says specifically there to Israel, do not hate a fellow Israelite. And then it continues on, no grudges against your people, Love your neighbor, your fellow Israelite, as yourself. So this is old covenant stuff that is for the old covenant people. And that's why Jesus' new command is new, because it's about a new covenant. New promises, new opportunity, a new day. Jesus is doing a new thing. There's a new opportunity for covenant relationship with God that is established on Christ and Christ alone. And so this is a new command because it is intended for a new community. It's built on these new promises and we operate as a people under these new standards. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. Man, that command seems simple enough, doesn't it? But this morning, what I want us to do is to really be careful with it and break it down into to two different parts. So on the one hand, we're going to address like, what is love, right? Love one another. What is love? And then on the other hand, we're going to address who is one another. What is love and who is one another? Love one another. And I want to start this morning with the simplest of those two parts, who is one another, because answering the question, what is love? Man, that's a hard question even for a guy who thinks he knows a good deal. Who is one another? Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John 13, to Christ followers, specifically in this moment, in the context of John 13, in this room where Jesus is speaking these words, he's speaking to the, the future apostles, his followers, that will ultimately be the leaders of this, this movement that Jesus established, this movement that will establish Jesus's church, the body of Christ, the community of new believers, right? And so the one another in love, one another is actually quite clear. It's simply the church. It was them then, and it is us now, we are, they were, the one another. It's not a nation like the Old Covenant. It's not a, a people group like the Old Covenant. No, no, no. It is a radical new community that is built in a way to transcend all human boundaries. It is this spiritual body that is being developed and created on Christ. 
And so Jesus' followers, man, Jesus' followers in every and all churches, Jesus' followers in churches all across the world, in every Christian church, Jesus' followers of all types and all kinds are then to love one another because we are the one another. So then that leads us to the harder part. What is love? What is love? Like I want you to think about this, all right? In this moment when Jesus says love one another, Jesus is not commanding his disciples who will be the apostles. He's not commanding them to feel something in their hearts. No, he's mandating that they do something with their lives. As Pastor Andy Stanley says often, Jesus made love a verb. Like we want to make it a noun, right? Something we, we receive. We want to make it a noun, like something that we, we have or feel. But Jesus is making it something that we do. And so what Jesus is saying to us and to them is this. It's like go over there and love them with loving attitudes and with, with loving actions. But man, if we only knew what that looked like, right? If we only had this living life as a verb kind of life that was demonstrated out before us, if we only had an example that we, the church, could follow in this, right? John 13, 34, a new command, I give you love one another as I have, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And there it is. There's the example. It's Jesus as I have loved you. Like this is what it looks like. Who is this Jesus? He's the the Jesus of John chapter 13. He's the Jesus of John chapter 13, verse five, the one who last week we saw humbly, radically ignore his his position and his entitlements and his his privileges. He overcame all of the, the messiness and he knelt down on his knees and he did the work of love, washing his friends and followers nasty and gnarly feet. Like in humility, we saw an amazing example of Christ-like love and service. And then in John 13, 34, in that very same chapter, he says, love the way that I have loved. How does Jesus love? Well, go back. And it's selfless sacrifice. But that's not the only picture of Jesus' love. There's so much more to the way that Christ has loved. He's not just the foot-washing servant. He's also the truth-telling, truth-loving, grace-filled teacher who loves in word and deed. He's not just the truth-telling, truth-loving, grace-filled teacher. He's not just the foot-washing servant man. He's also the sacrificial one who sacrificed himself selflessly on the cross making a way for us. And then Jesus' example calls for us to love one another in the same way that Christ has loved. So how do we do this? What does this look like? It looks like grace and it looks like truth. It looks like service and it looks like sacrifice. And y'all, loving like that, man, it gets messy and it gets uncomfortable at times. It was not comfortable to be Jesus Christ. And it is not comfortable to follow him. Loving like this will always require humility. But man, he is what it looks like. He is what it looks like. He is the standard of love for the new community. And so I want us to bring this into our day, into our space, into this room, right? Like 2,000 years later, what does this look like? Let's think about our time. You'd go, man, I get it, but you know what? He thinks that I'm a liberal wackadoo. Okay. 
go over there and love him. But, but, but hang on. She thinks that I'm a narrow-minded conservative bigot. Okay, well, go over there and love her. Wait, hang on. You don't understand, right? Like, if I'm honest, his life and lifestyle makes me really uncomfortable. Okay, well, go get in his life and love him well. Hang on. I just don't understand her positions and her perspectives. We just don't have alignment on that. Okay. Go love her like Jesus has loved. But what about this one? I don't agree with his interpretations and theologies. What better way to show him your theology than go love him with grace? See, the idea is that I don't see any caveats in Jesus' new command for the church, love one another. I don't see any caveats. And y'all, what if we loved like that? How much does our world need to see love like that in our day, in our time? What if we loved with actions and, and without caveats, with no conditions, without limitations, with grace and with truth and with sacrifice? Man, we all want to be known for something, don't we? What if we loved like that? And we were known for loving like that. The truth is we are already known for something. We as individuals, we as a church, we are known for something. We are known for some things. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure that we're known for this. The church at large and our church, I hope so. What if we love like this? What if our, our relationships, our marriages, our families, our priorities, our time, our commitments, our church, our small groups, what if all of that was shaped by Jesus' new command to love one another as he has loved us? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And what I want you to see this morning is this, that, that this stuff, this is the, the kind of stuff that becomes the vision that shapes a church. When I say vision, I mean like this is what it looks like. This is what we see. This is what we live towards. This should shape what a church is. But y'all, it's simultaneously bigger and smaller than all of that. This is the kind of stuff that also should shape the vision for a Christ-following family, for a, a Christ-following marriage and Christ-following parenting, the kind of stuff that should shape a Christ-following career, the kind of shape the stuff that could shape the, the Christ-following small group. The reality is this new command, man, it defines us. Love like this changes us. It changes our devotions, our commitments, our priorities, our values, and our purpose. Love like this, man, it changes our hearts and our lives. So what do you want to be known for? And what does Jesus want you to be known for? Love like his. And here's the good thing for us. John 13 gives us some order and some priority to this radical, otherworldly kind of love. And let me tell you where it starts. It starts with loving Jesus. Man, if you're not in love with Jesus Christ, I'll be honest with you, the rest of this stuff is wasted. Like it starts, it's built on, it begins with the Christ follower in the church realizing that we exist for the glory of God. 
Like Jesus, we follow him. Jesus loved God the Father. He lived for God the Father. He died for God the Father. In the same way that God was his, his greatest priority and his deepest love, God becomes our greatest priority and our deepest love and the highest in our affections. And then everything else flows out of that love, but it begins with a deep and real and abiding love of Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, love Jesus. Love Jesus. Man, I want to be known for loving Jesus Christ, for him being first in my loves and priorities. And Jesus will say in the next chapter in John 14, and I don't want to take too much thunder from this because we'll get there in a couple of weeks. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, man, if you love me, then what? If you love me, keep my commands. So this tells us that God's love language is obedience, Right? God's love language is obedience. So then what is it that we're commanded to obey if we only knew what Christ commanded of us? Oh, there it is. John 13, 34, love one another. If you want to keep the commands of Christ, then it looks like loving the church. If you love Jesus, you will love his church. I don't know how to be more clear than that. If you love Christ, you will love the body of Christ. In fact, you'll be known for it. You'd be known for it. So that's second in our loves and our priorities, right? So we love Jesus Christ and we love the body of Christ. We're commanded, we're called to love each other so radically well because what God is doing is he's building part by part, piece by piece, this body that's filled with such diversity, with every age group, with every ethnic group, with every language group across the globe and across time. And in time, what he does is he plants local churches in all these local places like Federal Way, Washington, to be this local expression of the body of Christ to that community to bring the hope of Christ to the people who need hope. And every one of these churches is intended to be this new community of people that are established in the new covenant promise of Christ's love. And we're building our lives on that. And so then we love each other and we serve each other in spite of our differences, in spite of our preferences. And we don't let the things that could divide us tear us apart. Instead, man, we are so unified on Christ and we are committed to one another in Christ like love. And y'all, the world has thrown so many things at us to divide us. But in the midst of it, we're called to do the work of love together where we're giving grace and we're telling truth and we're living sacrificially in life towards one another. That's what the new command demands of us. Let me ask you this. How many of you have more than one kid? All right, I got three. If you've got more than one, you know this like I know this. How sweet is it when your kids love each other? Man, right? It's like the Waymaker has made a way. There is a miracle happening in the Dane house. These kids are loving each other well. Like how much does it minister to your heart when you see your kids loving each other? That is God, man. He wants his kids to love each other so radically well and it ministers to his heart when we do. And y'all, that's what Jesus wants us to be known for. That's what he wants our community to see. He wants them to see a radical love that transcends differences. By that love, everyone will know that we are disciples of Christ. By Christ-like love, we will be known to belong to Christ. And this radical love is why the church exploded in the first century. It's why community after community, space after space across the globe, the church exploded because they were loving each other radically well. It changed the world. And ultimately, that leads us to our third priority. Love Christ, love the body of Christ. And lastly, man, we love the world that Christ died for. We're known for it. 
we're known for, not being in love with the world, but the people of the world who so deeply need our Jesus. What happens is the love of God, it flows into us. He initiates, he starts. And as the love of God flows into us, man, then love just flows out of us. We love Jesus. We love Christ. We love the body of Christ sacrificially. And then we compassionately love the world that Jesus came to save. And I want you to imagine in your mind, imagine a world where people are skeptical of the seemingly crazy things that we believe, but they are so envious of the tangible way that we love one another that they think they just might want to be a disciple of Jesus too. Can you imagine that? Skeptical of what we believe, but envious of how we love each other and they can see clearly how we compassionately love them as well. They just might want to be disciples of Jesus too. And after all, that is our mission, isn't it? That is our commission given to us from Jesus. It's so clear. It's as clear as John 13, 34. It's Matthew 28, 18. This is what it says. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So Jesus speaks this from a position of authority. He's the boss. He's the master. He said, go and do this. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? Of all nations, of just one nation? No, 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 all nations. This is bigger than people groups. This is bigger than languages. This is bigger than skin colors. Like go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I, Jesus, am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, that is our God-given mission. And it breaks down even smaller than that. That becomes our God-given purpose individually as followers of Christ. This is what you were created and recreated for. And what the new command in John 13 teaches us is this, if leading people to Jesus is our mission, then love is our apologetic, right? Love is our method. Love is our defense. Our Christ-like love for one another inside of the church becomes an argument to the world that Jesus is real and that he really saves and changes people. Is that what the world is seeing in us? Is that what we're known for? And I hope so. I hope that's what this church is known in this community for. I hope that's what the Point Church will be known for in Federal Way, Washington. And this is the stuff that our church is built on and being built on. How can we lean more and more and more, lean more and more and more to Jesus' radical new command? How can we do this more in our families? How can we do this more in our church family? More love, more grace, more truth, more service, more sacrifice, more Christ-likeness. And church, let's, let's break it down to the most micro level, right? Like the most micro level is you. Is this what your life is being built on? Are these your priorities, your commitments, your devotions, your values, your purpose? Love Christ, love the body of Christ, and love the world to Christ. What if we loved like that? What if we were known for that? See, personally, man, I want to be known for being crazy in love with Jesus. I want people to go, man, that guy loves Jesus. The love of Jesus just oozes out of him. He loves Jesus so much. And I want to be known as someone who loves the church. I want to be known as someone who loves this church 
with radical Christ-like sacrificial service, no matter what day, no matter what time, no matter how big, no matter what, like I wanna be known for the kind of person that I'm gonna be there because I'm in your corner and I wanna be known for someone that loves this people so well and I do, I love you. I wanna be known for the kind of person that loves the littlest church that I'm involved in, right? The Dane family so radically well. And I wanna be known as someone who compassionately loves the world to Christ with truth, with grace, and with sacrifice. And what are we known for? And what if we were known for that? Y'all, I don't know everything, but I do know that love like that can change the world. I don't know all things, but I know at least this thing. That is worth living for. So how do you build your life on these things? What is it that you live for? What is it that you are currently known for and how can you love differently, love Christ, love the body of Christ, love the world Christ died for? How can you love differently in a way that moves in the direction of Christ? Let me pray. God, this morning, I just invite you into the deepest places of our hearts. God, expose our affections and our loves for what they actually are. Help us understand what we actually love. Help us know who we actually are. God, search our hearts and give us the gift of being known to ourselves. And God, my heart's desire and prayer is that we would be so radically transformed by the love of God in Christ that we would be so deeply in love with Jesus that you would have the highest and best of our affections. God, that you would be our priority, our passion, and our greatest devotion. And out of that would flow all the beauty of deep and abiding love for the church. And out of that would flow all of the beauty of compassionate love for the world. And God, that you would change our community, our most immediate context with the power-filled, hope-filled gospel of Christ because we love like Jesus loves. God, do that in us as we build our lives on Christ our King. Amen.